Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 6, follow along with me as this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation. This is the word of the Lord for us. Pray with me. Father, uh, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. You would bless the teaching of it. Father, would you change us, make us into who you want us to be this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know uh, how many of you that are here today, uh, you you may have children, uh, you may not have children, you may have been given the opportunity uh, to pass on a name to someone. And names have meaning. They often communicate what it is that is the heart behind those who would give the name. They, They sort of clarify what it is that you might be praying for them over or what you hope that they would become within our family. Uh, each of my five kids, there, there is meaning, if not to their first name, but at least to their middle name. And it's something that Haley and I try to keep before them as we pray over them. Connor, my oldest son, it means wisdom. And so we pray for wisdom, for, for God to guide him and to lead him. Reese's middle name, it, it stands for courageous. And we want her to be courageous before the Lord and, and before the world. Hadley, her middle name, it, it connotates an idea of purity, that she would be pure, undefiled before the Lord. Duke, his name, it means leader. And so we pray that God would raise him up and, and that he would do great things for the Lord. And then Lucy, our, our youngest, it just simply means her middle name means God is my sustenance. That she would, he would be the thing that she runs to, that, that she gleans from. And so we pray over our kids. Oftentimes when, when we see and we talk about the things of God, God's name has a meaning. And it doesn't just connotate a, a certain attribute of who he is, but it, it really embodies his, his whole nature and, and his very essence of, of who he is. We don't just simply talk about God from the context of, of referring to him in, in one little attribute, but when we say the Lord our God, we, we mean something by it. And scripture communicates that, that it means something there. When I was in high school, the Lord saved me when I was about 17 years old. And uh, following that time of discipleship, I came across a guy that many of you are familiar with, a guy by the name of A.W. Tozier. And Tozier was a, was a pastor, and, and he's known as a theologian. He wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy, which I highly recommend. And, and in this book, Tozier says this, when we think about who we are, And how we are to think about God, listen to the words of Tozier. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The mankind, uh, the history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. A man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Most determining fact about any man is not what at any given time he may say or do, but what in his deep heart he conceives God to be like. 
What you think about when you hear the name God is one of the most important things about you because it will determine the trajectory and how it is that you go and and you live your life. So if you think about God in some nefarious ways or you think God is untrustworthy in some sense, not worthy of our trust, you will go through your entire life full of anxiety and anxious thoughts. If you think of God as some sort of judgmental tyrant, then it will turn you into this fearful and, and even insecure person as if God is just waiting on you to mess up. If you think of him as somehow distant, it'll make you feel insignificant within your own well-being and, and who you are. If he's, if he's not near and not close and there's not intimacy that, that exists within that relationship, you would, you would think that, that you are insignificant and that he is unloving and does not care. Exodus 34 by most Old Testament scholars is one of the most important texts in all of the Bible. Why? Because it is where God declares his name. It is where God communicates who he is. And it informs our understanding of who he is, which determines how we go and, and how we live our life. I want you to see, go back and look at verse 6, where he says, the Lord passes by him. So Moses is there in verse chapter 33, and, and the Lord is going to sort of go by him. He puts him in the cleft of the rock, and his glory goes before him. And the Lord passes before him. And then notice what it says. The Lord doesn't just show Moses his glory. He declares who he is. Is to them. And it says the Lord himself proclaims as he passes by and he says, the Lord, the Lord. And then where we get our understanding of, of what that means if a name is, is more than just an attribute, if it's more than just a, a physical feature or, or something that we pray over someone, what this is doing in this moment, it's communicating his, his very essence and, and who he is. Because notice what he goes on to say as the Lord makes these statements to Moses, he said, the Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful. A God who is merciful and a God who is gracious too. A God who is slow to anger, a, a God who is abounding in, in steadfast love and, and faithfulness. It's a love that, that is not swayed by the, the whims of the world and the culture of the world that exists, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He is a God that forgives. He's a God that hears and, and he's a God that responds. The, early Jewish understanding of this passage in Exodus 34, they called it the 13 medote or the, or the 13 attributes. And what, what the Jewish scholars would do is they would take something like Exodus 34 and it would help inform how they viewed God and who they believed him to be. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is the most quoted verse in all throughout the scripture. It, it, it was like their, their John 3, 16, if you will. They, they knew it and they understood it. Samson had it painted on his eyelids when he goes into battle. And the nation of Israel, they, they leave Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land. And they stop at Sinai. They, they fashion the golden calf that, that we're familiar with. And, and Moses is speaking with the Lord. And the Lord's like, you need to go down there and you need to deal with these people. 
And so Moses comes, and, and then in the midst of all of that, the Lord says in Exodus 33, he, he tells Moses, depart from here. I'm going to send an angel before you. I'm going to drive out the Canaanites. I'm going to send you to the promised land. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you, lest I consume you because of your sin and because of the iniquity, for you are a stiff-necked people. But we remember from several weeks ago, Moses responds in verse 15 of Exodus 33, and he says these words, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. If you don't go with us, we're not going. If you don't come with us, Lord, and, and your presence is not there, how, how are we to be distinct from, from the rest of the world, from the land that, that you've given us as a promise? How, how are we to live our lives in a distinct way that is different if we don't have your presence with us? Like you say, go to the thing in the, in the place that, that I've promised you, but, but I'm not going to go with you. I, I would dare say that for many of us, if given the choice between wealth and, and, and fame, between uh, economic stability, between military might, between political wherewithal, that, that we would choose those things more often than not over choosing and neglecting the presence of God in our life. So if God promised us everything, and he said, I will give you everything, but I won't go with you. You don't get me. I dare say that many in our culture would, would choose the former. God says, uh, you can have all of these things and you can have all the success that the world will bring, but I won't be with you. If God gave you or offered you everything you dreamed of, would you take it? If he said, but I, I won't go with you. Moses responds back. And he says, we won't go unless you come with us. Meaning your, your presence in our lives, your blessing in our lives, not just the things that you have promised, but you yourself, you are the reward. You are the treasure, your presence in our life. If you don't give us that, we're not going. And so he tells the Lord, I think one of the reasons why Moses does this is because he is beginning to understand, as we have seen throughout this book and the culmination, Moses is beginning to understand the inherent worth of who God actually is. And he sees him and he, and he understands him as, as being worthy as being what some philosophers would just deem in this moment, Moses begins to understand God in all of his beauty and in all of his richness. And he says, you can offer all of these things, but if you're not with us, we won't go. We need, just as Moses had done, we need to see God as beautiful and not just useful. Not as a, a means to our end, not to accomplish what it is that we want. You see, when you take pleasure in something that, that can give nothing back in return, you begin to understand how, how worthy it is and you begin to ascribe dignity in those moments. You take pleasure and you delight in someone, knowing that, that perhaps he, he wouldn't owe you anything in return. You just simply, you, you, wanna, you wanna be with them. 
You want to be in his presence because in his presence there is fullness of joy and there is nothing that that gets better in the process than, than being with God. You see, Moses began to understand and he began to see God for who he actually was. And he says, we, we don't want the promised land and all the other things. If you are not with us, then what is the point? And I think it communicates a second value to us today that apart from God, that living this life apart from God means there is no meaning in life. It's what the writer of Ecclesiastes came to, Solomon. We need to see that without God, nothing in this life inherently has actual meaning. He is the one that ascribes meaning to every person, every situation, every circumstance, everything that we own and possess. He is the one that makes it worthy. And so Moses tells the Lord, I I, I won't go. If you, if you don't go with us, we, we, we won't go. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? Is it not going with us that we are distinct from every other person? Verses 15 through 16. What Moses understood that we were reminded of several weeks ago was this idea that, that how we are to live our life today is to be wholly distinct from the world. And the way that we do that to separate ourselves from the world in which we live in is that we have and we offer and we embody the presence of God in our life. He, he is with us. And so it's what makes us unique and it's what makes us distinct from the rest of the world. And Moses understood this in this moment that that you are the the thing, you are the God, you are the person that that sort of calls us out from amongst this this world and and you set us apart to do the things that you want us to do. And Moses asked at the end of 33, I want to see you, Lord. Can I see you? And we pick up in verse 19 and he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, the Lord speaking to Moses, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. But he tells Moses, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. You shall see the trail of my glory, but my face you won't see. Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes it by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. And the Lord did this very thing that you have spoken to do, found favor in your sight, to know you by name. And so Moses in 34, he, he takes the commandments that God commands him to take. And then it says he, he descends in the cloud and he stands before him and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the, the words that we have read, the Lord, the Lord, I am. This is a declaration that God is making to Moses. I am who I say I am. I am merciful and gracious. I am slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Here's what's weird about this statement in this moment. It teaches us so much about the the attributes of God that we really gravitate towards. But if you you keep reading in verse 7, you see this sort of paradox that exists there in the text. God is rich in love, abounding. He is gracious. He is steadfast love. Yet then it says in verse 7, I will punish the sins from generations to generations. And what that means in this moment is that God is both equally loving and he is equally just. 
But he is equally right in, in all that he does. Yet at the same time, he is gracious and kind. He embodies all of those attributes all at once, all at the same time. I am infinitely just and I can never let sin go unpunished. Now, if the Bible were to end in Exodus 34, it would sort of be a, a Debbie Downer moment, would it not? And the reality is that, that we, we live in, in the midst of this. We see what, what God says, I will punish generation upon generation. But then the text goes on and he, and he says in verse 29, if you'll read with me, he says, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai. He takes the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. He comes down from the mountain. Now Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Verse 34, when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the people of Israel what he commanded. The people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with him again. Now the Hebrew in this moment, it, it literally reads out the skin of his face sent out horns. Not just glowing, not just a light that beams, but it literally says it, it, it from his head, from his face, it sends out horns. And it's why if you look at certain medieval paintings or Renaissance paintings, you'll, you'll see Moses with horns. And you'll, you'll watch this being depicted in some ways, but, but it doesn't mean that Moses grew horns. What, what it means here in this moment is that his expression, because he had been in the presence of God, it was this light that radiated. It was the glory of the Lord. These dazzling beams from his face, they were shown. Why? Because Moses had been with the Lord. And here's what I want you to see this morning. When Moses had been with the Lord, the people of the Lord and those who didn't know the Lord, they could tell that Moses had been with God. His countenance changed. His physical appearance was, was altered in that moment. And they could see that, that something supernatural had occurred. They could see that, that Moses had been in the presence of, of holiness, they, that he was walking with God faithfully. Listen to me. The question this morning, I think, for the church is this. When people see us, born again, regenerate members who have called upon the name of the Lord to save us, do they sense, do they see the countenance and the presence of our God and how we interact and what we say and how we go about living our life? Do they see it on our face? Do they hear it with our, our lips? Do, do our words point to the fact that, that we've been with Jesus and they see it? That our physical appearance, it, it, it even changes our, our spirit before one another, our, the spirit before our city and, and our country, how we interact with politics and theology and the kindness or the lack of kindness. Does it demonstrate, like Moses, that we had been in the presence of our God? Can they tell? Can you imagine in this moment as Moses descends down and they see his face and it glows? Can you, can you imagine what, what perhaps you might be thinking if you were to witness that face to face? How watching one man walk faithfully with God, how it would change you. To see him. 
To see them portray faithfulness and, and goodness and kindness and all of the fruit of the Spirit embodied in those, in those moments that, that they become changed because they watch how you change and how you've been changed, not because of who you are inherently, but because of what God has done in your life. How he has changed you. And how the glory of the Lord as you behold and, and as you see him, that that is portrayed and that is demonstrated to the world that watches, to your families, to your coworkers, to all of those who you would come in contact with. Moses goes in before the Lord and he, and he speaks and Moses is changed because of it. He beholds his face. One of the things that... My youngest daughter, Lucy, does. She does it more to Haley. I wish she did it more to me, but all of my kids used to do this at some form. They, they would come up and sit in your lap, and then you've ever had your, your kids come up to you and they grab both of your cheeks. And they look you right in the eyes. Or you grab your kids and you grab them both by the cheeks and you look at them in the, in the face. You, you behold them. You, you see them. And, and, and you're watching and, and your, your eye contact is there. Maybe you do this with your spouse or, or whomever it is. But, but you're beholden in that moment to that person for, for that moment in time. And so Moses goes and he is beholden before the Lord. And the Lord begins to change him and the Lord begins to move and then God ends up using Moses to continue to, to lead his people and to guide his people. And so here's my challenge for our church moving forward. And it's really a simple question and a simple statement. Does the world and the culture in which we live in, do they know and do they believe based upon how we are interacting with the Spirit of God and, and being in the presence of the Lord, do, do they see something different in us that we are a people at Travis Avenue Baptist Church and we are walking faithfully with Jesus? And they see it on our face. They see it how we, with how we interact with one another and what we say about one another. They, they see that it changes everything. Well, thankfully, Exodus 34 is not the end of the scripture, but rather it brings us to this different place where we begin to see in John's gospel in particular, where John 1 begins to write really the, the rest of the story about Jesus embodying that now, uh, not like Moses, we, we can't see the glory of the Lord or we die, but, but now because of Christ and through faith in him, we, we get to look upon him as he is and not face death. That he goes to the, the tomb and, and he goes to the cross and he, he dies a, a death that you and I couldn't die, that we get to call upon his name and behold the Lord. We get to see him face to face. And so that's how the gospel ends. That eventually we would come to a place and a point in our life where we would put our faith in him, that we'd trust him. And that we would see him as he really is, recognizing that he sees us precisely how we are today. This morning, if you're here in this room or watching online and you've never called upon the name of the Lord to save you, can I just say that, that in this moment to let the spirit of God move in your heart and the scripture is very clear, anyone who would just call upon his name would be saved. 
that we would believe that he was who he says he was. We would believe that we get redemption from our sins through him, forgiveness of our sins through him, and that we would repent of that and call upon his name and be brought into his family where we now get to see God as he is. I love the fact that as the glory of the Lord passes by Moses, it says the Lord proclaims it. And he tells him who he is. I think there's a subtle reminder there in that moment that the gospel that we carry, the gospel that we've been empowered to, it is a gospel of words. It's a gospel of of proclamation. It's not just a a do good things and and be a kind person and, and be a great citizen. No, what the gospel does is it comes with words and we are to be a people that are about using those words to proclaim the worthiness of our God and to call people to salvation through Christ. So this morning, as we conclude, let me just say this to you. What would happen if in this room, everyone just prayed a a very simple prayer? And that prayer would be this, God, how would you use my actions and how would you use my words so that I can proclaim your glory to people that are far from you that don't know you? How can I do that this very week? Who can I tell? Who can I speak to? Who needs to hear the thing that that I know to be true and you proclaim that truth to him. And maybe for some of you, it's a proclamation. Maybe for some of you this week, you just need to focus on being in the presence of our God and letting his glory show on your face and how you act and and what you say and and what you do and, and where you go. Pray with me. Father, We thank you for who you are, your kindness and goodness to us. Lord, we are grateful that you are slow to anger. You are rich in love and in compassion. And Father, we say thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your steadfast love. God, thank you for always being faithful to us, even if and when we are unfaithful to you. And so Father, we lean into who you are today. And we ask that it would change us, that it would move us in the direction that you want us to be. And Father, I pray that this week we would be a church that lives on mission with you and proclaiming your worthiness to all the world. We pray these things in Christ's name and God's people said, amen.